0: The personal is always political, and the political is always personal. You're tuned in to Poppin' Policies with R. Jordan Davis. Welcome to Poppin' Policies. I am so excited to be joined today in the Situation Room by two guests. Our first guest is Ivory. She is a 2019 graduate of Spelman College and is currently a first-year master's student at Columbia University studying community health education. Our second guest is Cam. He is a 2019 graduate of Auburn University and is currently a first year master's student at Yale University studying environmental policy analysis. I am so excited once again to welcome you both. And without further delay, let's get right into the conversation focusing on public health crises and how they affect minority communities. So Ivory, I'm going to go to you first what are the maybe direct impacts or the long lasting impacts that public crises, um, public health crises rather um, could have on black and brown communities specifically? Because we know oftentimes when pandemics like this occur, we as in black and brown communities get it the worst. So what are, what are some of those direct impacts that you foresee happening as it relates to community health education?
1: Absolutely. So in the field of public health, we acknowledge the role of social determinants of health on an individual's health outcomes, such as socioeconomic status, education level, and county of residence. And as a group, African-Americans have higher rates of poverty, unemployment, housing and food insecurities, and chronic medical conditions. So we know that these individuals may become the most vulnerable in these situations. So I think it's important for our policymakers and public health officials to really realize and acknowledge the impact that it could have on these communities, because we will see it not only now, but further down the line.
0: Kim, I know you're um, studying environmental policy, and I, I've seen you know many articles talking about climate change and how this pandemic um, needs to have... Um, sort of a green lens when it comes to rectifying the ills. What's your take on the impacts that this could have um, for um, our communities that are not in the best environments? You know, a lot of environmental injustice occurs in black and brown communities. So what do you foresee being an impact as it relates to uh, communities and the environments they live in?
2: Awesome, yeah. So I think the biggest thing right now with COVID-19 is uh that it's just more of, of an extra burden that a lot of people have to bear in communities of color, in low income communities in the rural south and other places that deal with already environmental burdens, right? People that live close to landfills, people that live close to facilities that pollute and things of that nature. And then another thing is the uh, economic impacts again. Um that's probably one of the largest things that this uh pandemic is, you know, given to people of color in different communities is that lack of economic resources, lack of other types of resources and lack of access. I know in the rural South, they're very distant from different hospitals and things of that nature. Uh, my mom was just talking the other day about uh, uh, her hometown in Georgiana, Alabama, which is in the rural Black Belt part of Alabama. And um, she was just talking about how one of the local hospitals closed a few years ago, which hurts a lot of people Uh, when it comes to this COVID-19 or different other types of diseases or pandemics they have to drive a great distance to get the help that they need so yeah lack of lack of resources and lack of access is probably one of the major the major
0: thing absolutely and i'm so glad that you brought up rural communities because i think oftentimes whether it's black brown or white i feel like rural communities um oftentimes have it worse as well um because they have a they don't have the access to, you know, the best hospital or healthcare. care. Um, they don't have the best, you know, they're not in the best economic state. And so what, um, from both of you, what policies can community members advocate for?
1: Well, in regards to Black and brown communities and advocating for policy reform, I believe that not just in rural areas, but just communities across the country, we should advocate for um, ultimately, accessibility, when we turn, in terms of healthcare facilities and, um, for example, grocery stores that sell fresh produce, you know, fruits and vegetables at an affordable price, these are not situations that many Black Americans find themselves in. So, for example, in terms of the crisis right now, if you need a testing kit. You may have to drive 45 minutes to an hour to the nearest healthcare facility in order to be tested. That is a serious issue and we will see the disproportionate effects on black and brown individuals because they just do not have the adequate resources due to historic injustice. So once we bring in the historical aspect of the situation, because we know that, especially in the South, um, African Americans have been discriminated against not only in the healthcare system, um, but in terms of the criminal justice system, any system that you really name, educational system. Uh, we just an, we need an all around reform. And so I think that it's important for not only Black and Brown people to advocate for reform, but also white allies.
2: Absolutely. You really just. Um... Took the words kind of just out of my mouth, I probably would have said that same exact thing all around reform, uh, more uh, access to different things as well. Uh, Going back to the food desert piece, I know there's a lot of studies going on in the environmental justice community world where we're looking at food deserts and we're looking at access to quality food. Because if you think about it, in a lot of black and brown communities, those in the rural South and those elsewhere, uh, they live in communities that have things, you know corner stores per se and things of that nature that don't probably have the freshest produce or the freshest vegetables or, you know, quality foods, you know, and so how can we get quality food into these communities, especially during times like this, you know, Um, you talk about food stamps and the Farm Bill and how can, you know, advocate for more um, reform with the Farm Bill to where it, it focuses more on lower income communities and families that rely on food stamps to feed their families.
0: So. That's good. That's good information. Um, and so with you all being, you know, in grad school, focusing on a specific area, how do you plan to, uh, I guess, be a part of this reform with your your degree? Um, because I think um, it is up to us as this talented 10th uh, that WEB Du Bois speaks of, those who go on to get higher education, it's very important for us to go back and reach um the those communities uh from whence we come. So how do you all plan uh individually um to kind of just, you know, go back and reach and use the knowledge that you've been given to help be a part of this reform.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Um like you said, as a black scholar, you know, our job is to protect black communities. Uh, and so for me, what I'm learning right now, I'm taking a di- lot of different classes dealing with environmental justice, dealing with economics of sustainability to see if it's, it's economically feasible to be as sustainable as possible. Um, classes dealing with land use law and things of that nature. So for me, I know after I get this degree, I wanna go into law school, uh, learn a bit about you know, administrative and constitutional law look into how that intersects with environmental justice Um, hopefully I can take that back down south somewhere and you know just get involved in community because what a lot of people don't know or a lot of people need to think about is that once you get out of these schools and stuff like that you still got a lot of learning to do you can only learn so much inside the classroom and to really get involved in doing community and social work that means you need to get involved in the community and not go in thinking that you know everything either. And so for me, I think I'm gonna have to go in and just listen and learn all over again, you know? And once I do that, then I'll be able to implement what I've learned here in school uh, with the knowledge that I've learned from the communities that I plan to serve and come out with the best outcome.
1: I totally agree with Cameron. Um, I pursued a degree in community health education because my long-term goal is to practice in underserved communities, And I thought that it was important for me to become equipped with the appropriate tools to best serve my patients. So right now I'm learning about um, social policy and prevention, competency with multicultural populations, just to name a few. So for me, I plan to take that knowledge and the resources that I have gained from attending prestigious institutions Because that's one thing that I think many students, especially Ivy League students, need to understand, that we have access to a lot of knowledge that is often exclusive to surrounding communities. Absolutely. So it is our job to really reach back to those communities that, quite frankly, nurtured us and got us to this moment. And as a future professional, just really devote your life to... A lifetime of learning right. so like Cameron said, you know you don't just stop learning at the at the conferral of your degree this is just this is an evolving process that we all need to take part in so that we can best serve those around us, so ultimately, my goal is to Come back to the community that raised me and practice in order to improve the quality of life of community members.
2: Yes, just to add one more one more <laughs> thing is uh, one thing that I've been told from you know leaders in the field, black scholars in the field that I'm studying is to read every single black scholar's work on the environment. And I'm pretty sure Ivory will do the same for, for public health and things of that nature because that also just, just helps even more. Uh, attribute to what you can do in the community that you plan on serving, especially if it's a uh, people of color or low-income communities. So just being able to get your hands on anything that you can and take advantage of any opportunity that you can to do good work and to learn good work, it could go a long way.
1: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. I totally agree. And I think most times when we you know, leave home, get these degrees. We can almost take on a, a savior complex type of attitude. And I think it's so important for you to remember your why, why you're, why you're achieving th- these successes, why you're achieving, you know, this degree it's very important for you to be grounded in your why because that will ultimately, um, you know, fuel your purpose and, and really be a reminder of why you got into it in the first place. So that's really good. I guess going back to, you know, public health um, and how uh, it impacts black and brown communities, I'll talk about um, a specific, um, you know, research that you're doing um, right now that would be applicable to kind of the times we're living in. This is a new norm for a lot of people um, and they're looking to policy makers, they're looking to scholars for the answer. um, Could you talk a little bit about the research that you're pursuing in your classes right now and how that can be applied to times such as these?
1: Yes, so one of the research projects that I am currently working on seeks to lower child mortality rates through the provision of data with the ultimate goal of implementing policies and taking preventative measures. As one of the most vulnerable populations, we must acknowledge that regardless of their age, any life loss due to preventable circumstances is simply unacceptable. Um, While many parents and children may be enjoying spending more quality time with each other as a result of the pandemic, unfortunately, this is not necessarily the case for all. We may see a surge in domestic violence incidents Or child deaths due to maltreatment, neglect, or other forms of abuse. So, I believe that this research is valuable, and I'm optimistic about the impact that the research may have, not only in the field of public health, but in other sectors as well.
2: Yeah, um, with that, I think a lot of the work that I'm doing right now, a lot of research that I'm doing is really focused on, I've been doing a lot of research in Alabama, actually, which is very, very great for me. I think that's one thing. Once I got up to Yale, I didn't think would happen. Um, and once those opportunities, you know, came my way, I immediately jumped on them. And so one of the things I'm looking at right now is like the disproportionate uh, sightings of hazardous waste facilities. Right? Uh, the United Church of Christ back in 1987 released a report called Toxic Waste and Race, which proved that race was, you know, one of the most significant variables tested with the association of location of uh, commercial hazardous waste facilities in the nation. And a lot of those facilities waste facilities are located in Alabama and other rural southern communities. Um, So right now what I'm focused on is, you know, a number of different things in those communities. One is focused on this thing called uh, Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Which basically says that any activity that receives federal funding from uh, from the government um, cannot discriminate based on you know race, sex, national origin, you know, and anything dealing with that, right? And so what we're looking at is with a lot of environmental justice cases or a lot of environmental justice injustice complaints, they use Title VI as an avenue to report complaints to the EPA that they are being discriminated against. And with that, the EPA has you know received hundreds and hundreds of complaints since the early 90s when they established an office of civil rights within the epa but out of those hundreds of complaints none of those complaints have been found to be discriminatory Uh, they have found no um, evidence of discriminations from any facilities that have taken federal funding at all Um, even in flint michigan which is really really surprising right um so i'm just kind of you know looking at that thing and trying to see why is the EPA or why do other state agencies across the nation, especially in Alabama, um, why are they not looking at race the way that these environmental justice scholars are looking at race? What, 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 what's the issues here? So I'm trying to see, you know, how can the EPA or other federal agencies, better their methodologies to take into account race and to take into account these disproportionate sightings this disparate impacts, and also looking for communities to, um, if they you know, end up winning some of these you know, complaints and investigations, how can they um, use litigation in a way to use litigation in their favor um, to get settlement possibly, but also in addition to settlements, uh, updated hiring and performance measures for these state agencies that focus on environmental management, um, trainings for the workers in those fields that focus on environmental management, monitoring, higher monitoring, monitoring, monitoring processes, new policies that focus more on grassroots communities. Um, and so that we can end things coming from the top down, but coming from the bottom up. Um, so that's really what I'm focused on. Now. It's a lot of different things. Some things I can't talk about, because it's a little confidential, but Absolutely. that's some of the stuff that I can, um, that I can say for now.
0: Okay, cool. Um, I know that You know, our future is in great hands when it comes to uh, professionals in in your respective fields. Um, When you all um, get there, um, because I know that you all will be committed to the work. And I definitely wanted to, you know, once again, thank you for coming on here, giving up a little bit of your time. Um, And as always, I definitely want to give you the opportunity to uh, let the listeners know how they can follow you and keep up with the work that you are doing. So if you want to, you know, shout out your socials, definitely do so at this time.
1: Sure, you can follow me on Instagram at i v o r i e e e e underscore. Sorry, y'all. So many, so many ivories were already taken, so I had to be a little extra. Um, and LinkedIn, um, ivory, I-V-O-R-I-E, and my last name is hyphenated, F-A-R-L-E-Y, hyphen C-O-O-K.
2: Yeah, and uh, you can just follow me on Instagram. It's pretty much the only social media outlet that I really use. Uh, and you can just follow me there at cam underscore hump. That's C-A-M underscore H-U-M-P. Um, and so you can just follow me on there. I guess the last thing I would say is that um, as far as, you know, keeping in touch with the work I'm doing or the work that Ivory's doing, um, just try to get involved in your community as much as you can if this is the type of work that you want to be interested in. Um, that's the that's the main driver. Uh, you can learn all you can, again, in the classroom, but really, really trying to learn from the communities you plan to serve, that's the ultimate tell-all.
0: Yeah, and I think you all made a great point, you know, at um, giving people the liberty to be agents for themselves, um, have a, exert a sense of agency to combat these issues. So um, I thank you guys for your humility. um, And once again, just thank you for uh, all the work that you're doing. Thank you Ivory and Cam for joining me today. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I'm so proud of each of you and I'm so grateful for these relationships that I've been able to foster with people who are just so brilliant and so concerned about the ills, the social ills that plague our community and really want to lend in a, a helping hand. So once again, thank you. And I'm so proud of both of you. This podcast in particular is dedicated to those seniors whether it be high school, undergrad, grad, law school, MBA, MD, all of those. Anybody who was expecting to have a graduation this year, this podcast is dedicated to you as a senior uh, in undergrad who was preparing to graduate in May. I feel you. I feel your hurt. Um, I feel your sadness. And I've gone through all of the emotions, the grief, the hurt, the sadness, Um <laughs> I've, I've gone through it, and so um, I feel you, I feel your pain, but I think this is a great moment for, for us to do some self-reflection, for us to figure out what kind of life do we wanna live? What impact do we want to have? And how can we better ourselves to reach our goals? Um, uh, there's the saying going around right now, um, the quarantine 15. And so I'm going to spend that. But I'm going to say, do we want to leave this time with the quarantine 15 or do we want to um, leave with post in post quarantine pristine? Do we want to leave in the best shape possible um, after this? So I encourage you make a schedule. Um, Call those people who you haven't spoken to in a while. Call those old professionals, old friends um, that you just did not have the time to talk to while you are in school. Read a new book. Find a new hobby. Run. Just do something stimulating and productive. And, And all in all, find something substantive to hold on to. For me, it's my faith. And so... It's amazing because in my small group last week, we were talking about a passage in James where it talks about we make all of these plans, but such boasting is evil. And so we had all of these plans when it comes to graduation, whether it be uh, the graduation parties, whether it be the graduation trips, we had all of these plans. And for what? <laughs> it cannot happen now. And so I think that that scripture, that passage in particular, just really put into perspective how Uh, easy it is for us to get on our own trip about things that we don't even know will happen or not. And so I just really want to encourage you all to take this time. Do not take it for granted. Do not mope. Do not binge on Netflix. It's okay to watch a little Netflix, but don't binge on it um, because too much of anything is not healthy. But really take this time to, you know, just better yourself and really um, be the person um, that you want to be uh, at the end of this. And so, With that, I am praying for you. I am praying for our nation. I'm praying for the world. And I just hope that we see better days. I know that we will see better days. Um, I do want to caution you all to adhere to the CDC guidelines. Please practice social distancing because it's not just your life at stake, but there are other lives at stake who who are more, more at risk than you may be. And so I just want us to be considerate during this time. And I really want us to follow all the laws of the land. Amen. Amen. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please leave a rating, comment, subscribe, share all that good stuff so that we can continue to add to the Poppin Policies family. In addition, please follow me on Instagram and Twitter at imrjordan for more updates on podcast episodes as well as their air dates. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. See you next time on Poppin Policies with R. Jordan Davis.